Well, corner kick fam, corner kick family, corner kick crew, we are coming to you live, maybe not live, but remotely for the first time ever, the corner kick team, Caleb Rhodes, Nathan Strauss, and myself are all reunited, but through the lovely device known as the internet. Caleb Rhodes, strange time was we're living in. Uh, absolutely strange times. I was surprised we didn't do this over Zoom, but then I remembered that we're a podcast. Um. Right. It, it really takes me back to our early days and to when we were first recording this podcast coming up on what, three years ago, almost exactly three years ago now, and recording on our own separate mics down in the basement uh, back in the high school days. But this seems to be a lot uh, a lot easier and a lot cleaner. Honestly, Look at how oh, we've yeah. grown. Honestly, Shout out better. to the internet. Yeah, I mean, I could do this from the comfort of my own home. I mean, it doesn't get better than that. I oh, know. Hashtag work from home movement. Yeah. But guys, we're here. We normally are a soccer podcast. That is our bread and butter, as they say. But uh, for the first time, I think in the history of Corner Kick and the history of us watching and being fans and covering the game, there is no soccer to talk about because of this really unfortunate coronavirus uh, pandemic, I think is the word that we need to use now. Really big emergency situation. And all football, UEFA has suspended, all, I think the Premier League actually has suspended all football until April 30th with Euro 2020 being postponed until 2021. And um, it, it, it is uncertain as of right now if we're going to get an end to the current season. So obviously coronavirus and COVID-19 is such a far-reaching problem. But from a soccer perspective, Nathan Strauss, what has your take been on, on how it's affected the beautiful game? I mean, it seems to me that it's affected it the same way it's affected all other major sports leagues. I think the Premier League was an especially interesting example um, because England is notoriously... Uh, bound to tradition and reluctant to change, and you know there were there were lower league games going on until last weekend as well. Uh, but it seemed like you know once Italy began to play games behind closed doors, that then affected how the Europa League and Champions League uh, knockout ties were being played, and then that began to affect how other domestic leagues like Spain and France were being played as well. And it seemed because of how you know, how viral transmission happens, it was only a matter of time before soccer, football um, became the latest domino to fall. And it's been really quite boring. And obviously it's a very selfish way of looking at things, but really soccer is a year round sport between leagues with summer schedules like the MLS and international tournaments that take place in the summer. And then the normal sort of August to May, September to May league schedule. This is the first time really in my entire adult life that we've had any sort of spell of, of no football entirely. It's just, it's just eerie, honestly. Um, and I think it's funny just like how long the English FA dragged their feet. Like it was, what was it last week when it was Liverpool versus Atletico Madrid um, and what was it? Valencia versus Atalanta. Was the, were those the two games that day? Yeah. Um, yeah, that one too. 
and you know the valencia stadium is like entirely empty which is super weird and then you have anfield which is like entirely full and it was only really when Mikel Arteta, the Arsenal manager, and then Callum Hudson-Odoi, the Chelsea player, got confirmed coronavirus that England was essentially forced to call off the league. But they really, they really took their time. Um, but it's, right, it's and I think it puts the Premier, and I think it puts the the Premier League in an unprecedented situation where, like Nathan was saying, they're so bound by tradition and doing things in a consistent way year after year after year that now we're in a situation where my Liverpool football club are 25 points at the top of the table with no indication that they are going to be able to lift the trophy at Anfield at the end of the season or if there are even going to be games played behind closed doors just because of how dangerous and scary this COVID-19 stuff really is. So what do you guys think should be the resolution to a season? Should we play out the rest of the season? Should we just start the next season, fingers crossed, that we'll even be able to do that come August? What what is the the scenario going forward for soccer for for league soccer? I think that before you even look at what the solution should be, you have to basically get everyone on board with the fact that we're now going to be playing the waiting game because there's no point in making a contingency plan that then gets blown out of the water because the amount of information that you know the the NHS and the actual Department of Health around the world are are dealing with isn't what it needs to be. So rather than make a contingency plan, I think that everything should just be on pause until we have an actual quantitative or an actual time that we that doctors and scientists and the government has given FAs to resume sporting activity. But I do think that one of the things that you sent this past week, Nick, that was interesting was the possibility of um, playing out a, a next Premier League season with 22 teams instead of 20 with a five-team relegation battle. Right. I think, so the way that would work is that right now, no teams, we would start the next season with no teams being relegated and West Bromwich Albion and Leeds, the one and two seeds in the championship would come up. And while that would add extra games and that would be a detriment to teams competing in European competitions in the Champions League and the Europa League, and they'd have to accommodate more games and more rotation with players and such, it would make for an unprecedented and I think incredibly entertaining uh, wrinkle to the Premier League season. What do you think, Caleb? Yeah. Uh, I mean, like... It is complicated. Say, like, yeah, right. The April 30th, like, resumption date is totally made up. Like, that's not a thing. The UEFA announcement that they're going to try to finish all, you know, European leagues by June 30th, that's also made up. So, as Nathan said, we really do have to play um a waiting game i will say in regards to like the 22 person league thing and then in regards to how you deal with like relegation and promotion and also how you deal with the title i don't think it's i think if you're going to award liverpool the title without playing the rest of the games then by that logic you also need to relegate the teams that are currently in last place and and I think if you decide not to award Liverpool the title and to go for like and to not do anything about relegation and expand the league, then you can't give Liverpool the title. Like I don't think you can have it both ways. Like I think you should treat the people at the top and the people at the bottom the exact same in regards to their current standing. I think that a, a decent option would be to, you know, with the international tournament 
being postponed this summer would be to just resume the season, have a later, uh, you know, treat this time as if it were basically the summer break and then give teams a couple of weeks of preseason and then resume and finish up the remaining league fixtures and then possibly play a, a slightly elongated season next year, um, but eliminate something like the League Cup to a lot for, um, you know, the, the fixture congestion, congestion that is that would come with that kind of schedule. Because I do think that this league season should be finished. I would, for, I would feel weird, um, you know, awarding Liverpool the title now and relegating teams now when, you know, realistically there was still, you know, what, 11 game weeks left to play. Right, and uh, Liverpool were falling off the pace in terms of their form. Right, exactly. right, and I, like, I, there's no doubt in my mind that Liverpool are going to win the league. But I think from a not an ethical perspective, but just from a logical perspective, like it, it sets a bad precedent if you say like, okay, you know, the season wasn't played out yet, but because of these things that happened, we're now going to, you know, like th- any decision that's going to be made is going to have so many effects. And whether or not that like like I wouldn't want to condemn a team to relegation when there's a decent chance that they could have made it out of the zone, um, because frankly it's not as if these teams were playing the same schedule. There is no great equalizer here. And so teams would have had the opportunity to pull off a great escape. So I, I would ideally like to see the season played to completion, whether that's in you know June or whether that's in August. And however it affects future seasons going forward, we can work that out then. But I'd rather make up the season um, that we can play before figuring out the future. Right. And I think another interesting, another interesting perspective to think about are... If, if you are Sheffield United or Manchester United or Wolves and you're competing for that Champions League spot for European football, you don't want the season just to come to a close and have Liverpool be awarded the title because there's so much financial fallout that comes from making that choice if you are those teams chasing European, European soccer next season. So it, it doesn't even just come down to the title and relegation. It comes down to where teams are, were, or are or were going to finish in the table when it comes to how much money they were going to recoup at the end of the season. Right. I mean, well, I think we can all safely agree that we would like the season to finish. Right. right? Because the season finishing resolves all of these problems. And I think just another problem you could say is how do we, if we don't finish this season, how do we even award who has the Champions League spots or Europa League spots for next year, for this imaginary next season? Like the whole relegation expanding the league idea doesn't address that issue. And I think rather than fixating on Liverpool on how we should address whether they get the title or not, perhaps it's better to look at the other top leagues. So right, currently Barcelona lead Madrid by two points in La Liga currently Bayern lead Dortmund by four points in the Bundesliga. Currently, Juventus lead Lazio by one point in Serie A. And so in those instances, I feel like you'd be you'd feel much more aggrieved in handing any of those teams the title. And I think you even have to look at it country to country, because if you just look at the situation right now in Italy, it is vastly different to the situation as far as COVID-19 goes in England. So could we see something where the Premier League starts a bit earlier than Serie A would resume? Or even would Serie A just be canceled for the remainder of the calendar year and restart some point in the winter while the Premier League and La Liga would resume? Because the situations in each nation are so vastly different. Well, I think one of the things that is going to happen is that 
all of the leagues are going to eventually resume at around the same time. Even though Italy took the brunt of um, the early cases and and their health system was was pretty overwhelmed and they're still dealing with stuff, you know, you know, England and the measures that they ha- are imposing or not imposing, they're going to be peaking in about three weeks. And and so so is the United States, and so is pretty much the rest of the of the Schwenningen zone because there's there was just so much travel there. And so I think that it makes sense for all of these leagues to, you know, ideally try to finish their their seasons, whether that comes, you know, in, in three months or five months or two months. Um, but it is possible that, you know, Serie A decides, you know, because of the, you know, the, the national trauma of, of coronavirus, they do cancel it. They don't award a, uh, a title and they leave it up to the owners to decide who gets the Champions League spots. It, it very well might end up being league by league. Um, and that would, that would definitely be okay. But I do think it's important that when leagues eventually get resumed, that things are somewhat synced up because I think that for UEFA's, um, for, for any, you know, continental competition, it's important that you don't have, you know, what you have in like the AFC um, where uh, clubs are being forced to take part in, you know, like the Champions League before their regular season actually starts. Right. And I think the interesting um, idea that I saw floating around was actually, actually came from the brain of one uh, Wayne Rooney, who was playing, applying his trade at Derby County. And his idea was that the World Cup in 2022 is going to start around like late late November, early December 2022. So what if something like the Premier League plays out, let, let's say, fingers crossed, that we can resume at some point in the summer at the earliest, right? So we play out the, re- the remainder of the season, take a little bit of a pause, and in preparation for the World Cup, start the next two seasons in the winter. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, that could work. I, I mean, once again, all of this is, even that, something like that is uncertain because we really don't know what the scale of this exactly. situation is going to be. And that's why, as Nathan was saying at the beginning, it feels like making any plans right now, honestly, is better as an exercise in passing the time than in actually resolving any of the problems. Um I think something we haven't talked about yet, but that is interesting to think about is I think there was a report yesterday or something that if the Premier League season does kind of get abandoned, then the teams essentially like wouldn't get the TV payouts for the that they would have been allotted for the remaining games. Um, and I think it's interesting to think about the economics of the leagues right now, especially if they don't sync up. And then there could be like a huge outflow of players, say from Italy, like to England, just because they want to be able to play. And I think that's like an interesting. Yeah. And, and FFP or UEFA announced today that they would be relaxing pretty much all of their FFP regulations and whatnot, which makes a lot of sense. Again, I just think it's, it requires a, a decent amount of compassion and coordination from all involved parties, because this is something that is truly global and it will it, it will affect all leagues and all players in some way, shape, or form. And I just think that you know forecasting things right now is hard. And I think there's there will need to be regulations that are made up on the spot. And right, I think about clubs like Burnley and Bournemouth who run such a tight ship financially, even the top league uh, in England, and clubs like Parma and clubs like Ibar 
who run such a tight financial situation in their respective leagues in Serie A and La Liga. And you think about Parma, how poor their financial situation was just two years ago. So there are going to be, there are going to need to be regulations built to keep these clubs afloat. Because obviously the Manchester United's, the Real Madrid's, the Barcelona's, the Liverpool's, the Manchester City's, they're all going to be fine. But the dynamic of mid-tier to like lower tier top soccer might be completely different coming out of this just in terms of like financial uh standing and i think you might even see clubs who are who were in tight financial situations going into the season it is very possible that there's going to be a lot of liquidations going on in the near future well that's what makes me like so you know at least in the u.s there's this huge stimulus package that's about to come through and we're almost surely going to have to bail out like airlines. But I do wonder if like governments should consider bailing out some of their sports teams potentially. Oh, well, yeah, I think that that sort of was what I was hinting at when I was talking about compassion earlier. Like my hope is that, you know, whoever the lenders are for these teams need to be willing to push back deadlines for payments. And that probably includes, you know, restructuring payments for transfers because a lot of these teams that have been paying high transfer fees, United and Arsenal pay in installments. And obviously if Arsenal are are forced to repay, you know, 75 million pounds worth of TV money that they have technically spent towards the future in terms of like a a transfer, like Nico Pepe, where they're, they're paying 14 million a year. Maybe they talk to Lille and say, okay, can we defer these payments now for another year so that we can like find some sort of equilibrium? Because the amount of money that we're talking about, it's not liquid. Like clearly there has to be some way to, to come to a conclusion that keeps the league functioning and, and generating revenue, keeps teams playing at an acceptable level without seeing a massive exodus of players to like the Chinese Super League and keeps fans invested too. Having an exodus to the Chinese Super League right now. <laughs> well, no, but, no, but you're, you're talking about what league is going to get back underway first. No, I mean, it's right. Gonna it's going to be, gonna be, gonna be China. Yeah. Right. I think Arsenal are going to pay Lille and livestock. Well, no, okay. Well, here's here's an interesting idea, right? Like, what if we stop seeing as many like cash transfers and we start seeing more player transfers, player swaps, or like just giving? You know what I mean? Yeah, like using players as collateral because clearly, if you don't have the cash, like. No, yeah, I wonder what, if it's what see, do you have. Yeah, what right. I mean, it's going to deplete. It's going to deplete academies probably too because you know if you're Lille. You don't want like Granite Xhaka. You might look and say, okay, well, you have these three 16-year-olds or these three 18-year-olds in your academy. We want like future rights to them or something like that. Or like loan deals. It's, it's just going to be interesting. It's going to be like a game of Monopoly when uh, no one wants to budge. It could be kind of fun. Yeah. Right. I'm thinking about like the fact that Liverpool have been looking extensively at Jaden Sancho and Timo Werner. And what if it's a situation where, especially since we're, uh, going to be involved with Nike and the new Nike deal come next season, and how that is going to shake out, shake out is up in the air currently. But what if it's something like we pay RB Leipzig a certain amount of money in installments and we loan them to Vakarigi or something? Well, yeah, age? I think it, I think it might just burst the bubble that we've been seeing yeah, since we were in high school, pretty much. Like over the past like six or seven years, where we've gone from seeing you know, good players be transferred for 50 million to seeing 
you know, the hundred million barrier being broken quite regularly to seeing the record transfer be set year after year. And of course, it's now Neymar's at 222 million euros. So clearly nothing like that is going to be sustainable. So it might in a weird way, we're going to see how a global recession affects the soccer market, which, you know, obviously the soccer market and transfer market should in some way mirror you know, global financial markets, but we're going to see in this case how it deals with a real slump, the first, you know, prolonged global slump in in 12 years. Yeah, well, it's going to be a problem, right, is player wages have been set so high and they're going to have to try to negotiate them down, right? Because revenues, like that's, that's what's going to kill all these like mid to lower table teams in like England and in all the leagues is that they're just not going to be able to afford to be paying out wages to people without having any income at all because that's what they're facing right now like these clubs have no income zero right right and i think a positive thing potentially coming from all this is going to be we're going to see a lot of these these types of clubs like the burnmies the god the burnleys and the bournemouths uh seek talent within their academy and really put effort into developing from within and that could be something like Nathan was talking about, that more of a focus towards creating assets from the youth level, which could be a positive coming out of all of this. Well, yeah, I mean, we sort of we've seen how individual clubs have dealt with tightened finances, like Arsenal from two thousand five to two thousand thirteen, when they were dealing with pay- paying off the Emirates and and dealing with a strict budget. It leads to you know player exoduses, but also you know, in, in investing in youth and trying to find cheaper local options. Um, I sound like I'm advertising for like a Whole Foods here, um, but it does. It, it, Probably it's, more like a Trader Joe's. Yeah, more like yeah. a Trader Joe's, really. A basket. Uh, yeah, uh, but, you know, it will it will force clubs that have a history of spending large in the past decade or so to reevaluate. And who ends up benefiting from this and who doesn't? will be interesting because it's entirely possible as well that as an unintended consequence, teams in the air divisie that typically sell at like a low to medium price will end up getting, will end up profiting off of this to some extent. Teams that aren't dependent on um, their TV deals to turn profits are now going to be holding all of these assets that other clubs want. You know, with the exception of Ajax, who have a history of selling on their players for incredibly high profits you look at players that have come out of teams like Groningen or Feyenoord, you know, they they hold plenty of potential, but yeah, without or, or or the price for those players just totally collapse. And they, right. That's the other option. <laughs> right. Like <laughs> I get that they're not that expensive a club to maintain, but if they're already on the margin and they rely on making a profit off of these players, and suddenly the market price for them that has been fairly overinflated for the past half decade or more collapses i don't know i think the ripple effects go pretty deep um pretty deep or we could even see situations where clubs are trying to ship off their really young promising talent who may not be ready for the next level of the game but the club like a burnley like dwight mcneil the young english winger who impressed the season so far and was linked to manchester united it could be a situation where burnley knocks on ole gunnar Solskjaer's door and goes you can have him for 35 million because we're in such a dire financial strait 
Yeah. And then Ole Gunnar Solskjaer says, I have Daniel James. He's just as mediocre. He happens to be Welsh, right? <laughs> He's fast. <laughs> yeah, you want to see an example of the overinflated transfer market? Harry Maguire, the world's most expensive defender. Yikes. Right. Maybe well, that's a good thing. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I think we've uh, depressed, bummed out the corner kick family uh, with that important, but maybe a bit depressing discussion. So shall we move on to uh, quarantine-related activities? Yes. So here at Corner Kick, we were thinking, what? how could we talk about soccer without there being any soccer to watch, any live soccer to watch? So we got to thinking about what games have the best rewatchability. Like if we wanted to go back and be entertained by a match, what should we go back and spend our time inside (laughs) avoiding COVID-19 watching? So I think Nathan Strauss, you're going to start us off with your rewatchable game. Yeah, so my rewatchable game was a game that about 30 minutes afterwards, Nick, I actually called you because I felt like I needed to vent and it wasn't even a game that I was particularly invested in. Neither of my, it wasn't a game that I had any stake in as a fan. As a neutral, it was probably the most compelling game of soccer that I've ever seen. It was the second leg of the UEFA Champions League. Oh, yeah. Quarter, the great quarter, quarter, yeah, a quarterfinals um, last year between Spurs and Man City. And this is a game that had literally 96 minutes of just action. It was. <laughs> It was so chaotic, but it was chaos at the highest level of soccer. It was peak Pochettino, so probably the the most aesthetically pleasing Spurs soccer that you could see going up against a Pep Guardiola-led Man City side that had historically underperformed at that stage of the Champions League. And it basically featured multiple VAR reviews, early drama late drama and everything in between, including a run where City scored, I think, two or three unanswered goals, and it looked like they were well on their way before Spurs clawed their way back. And then it even had a potential game-winning slash tie-winning goal. It would have tied the game, but I believe won the tie on aggregate uh, on away goals for City get waved off via an offsides VAR review in like the 94th minute. So... In terms of, it's hard to recapture all of the emotion that comes with the uncertainty of a VAR check. When you know what the outcome is going to be, obviously it's it's going to be a little less tense. But I would definitely nominate that game as my uh, rewatchable contest. Caleb Rose, cool. that was a sick game. So I'm and also we can take go our time here. Champions League game. Um, I'm mean, gonna the what is now called la remontada or the comeback in spanish which is when barcelona beat psg 6-1 at home in the second leg of the round of 16 in the 2016-17 champions league and this is maybe although i'd have to do some more digging but i think this is the start of barcelona just constantly capitulating um in Champions League games, although in this case, they capitulated in the first leg rather than the second leg, and that was all the better. (laughs) Um, So in the first leg of this game at PSG, Barcelona got utterly demolished um, 4-0 with goals from Di Maria, Draxler, and Cavani. Di Maria had a double. 
And those were sad days. Those were really sad days. But then in the return leg, so we had no away goals at this point also, which means we really didn't want to concede and we needed to at least match PSG to go into extra time. So, you know, the game started off pretty strong. Suarez scored in the third minute. Kurzawa had an own goal in the 40th. Messi scored a penalty in the 50th. Um, but then, in a little further into the second half, Cavani scored an away goal. So now it was like 3-1 in the 62nd minute. And because PSG had an away goal, we needed to score six in order to win. And so now like another 30 minutes go by and we don't score. But then in the 88th minute, Neymar scores a goal. In the 91st minute, Neymar scores a penalty. And then in the 95th minute, Neymar takes a free kick, lofts it in. And Sergio Roberto, who does not score goals, he yeah, he scores like one goal a season. Um, in fact, that was his only goal. I was going to say, and this season. was his time. I mean, for reference, Sergio Roberto has nine career goals for Barcelona in 274 appearances. So that's not good. Um he scores like a lunging volley, which goes in, and it was just like utterly insane. Um, yeah, so that's my pick, La Remontada. Um, I think looking back on La Remontada, there's so many interesting overlapping tidbits about that, looking back on it now, that be, it being 2020. The fact that that is probably Neymar's last great performance for Barcelona, and it is against a team that he would inevitably join in that summer. Um, the free kick that he scored was outrageous and it was really the last time I can remember being really just in awe of Neymar, his skill, his drive. Uh, the free kick that he scored was out of this world. He had no right to score from that position and somehow he did. He just bended it perfectly. Um, but yeah, I think that is certainly the, as far as like the MSN era of Barcelona, that was their last great um, yeah. landmark victory. And I think that's yeah. an excellent pick. Um, I have two picks. Uh, I have gone for the Nathan Strauss entertainment value. And I've also gone for the Caleb Rhodes hometown pick. So mm-hmm. my entertainment value pick is from this past World Cup in Russia. It is a group stage game. And it was one of the first games of the tournament. Portugal 3, Spain 3. And if you want to talk about action, nonstop action, Cristiano is a hat-trick from Cristiano Ronaldo. He scores in the fourth minute via a penalty and a free kick, just classic Cristiano Ronaldo power free kick in the 88th minute to tie it up when Portugal are down 3-2. It is highlighted by one of the goals of the tournament from none other than Nacho Fernandez, a stunning volley from outside of the box in the 58th minute. And I think it is uh, Diego Costa's best performance for Spain he scored a double in the 24th minute and the 55th minute. But it is a game that has everything. It had drama. It had comebacks. It had free kicks, penalties, volleys from center backs who don't score goals. You want to talk about Spanish defenders not scoring goals. This is another prime example of that. So I think if you want just pure action from minute one to minute 90, that is a game that you should go rewatch. My hometown pick is another Barcelona com- uh, capitulation, unfortunately, for Caleb. Jesus. Uh, <laughs> it is Liverpool 4, Barcelona 0. Um, 
from last season's Champions League semifinal. Uh, Liverpool had gone into the Camp Nou uh, for the first leg of their semifinal, and we had performed really well up to this point in the Champions League. We had uh, beaten Bayern Munich, um, and we had beaten Porto, and we were looking good. We were looking strong. We were definitely looking way more solid than the team that had gotten to the final um, in 2018 against Real Madrid. Uh, certainly looked way more in control of our own destiny. But Lionel Messi, as he does, stripped that potential and happiness away with a dominant performance on the Camp Nou pitch, uh, highlighted by an insane free kick uh, that beat Allison Becker um, from what felt like 35, 40 yards out. And it was just a trademark Messi performance that left uh, Liverpool fans and the club dead and buried, dead in the water. We thought that was it. And not only that, for the return leg, we would be without Mohamed Salah and Roberto Firmino for the return leg at Anfield. So we thought there was no hope. The team sheet comes out, and you see that Jordan Shakiri and Divock Origi are starting. And you're thinking, oh, well, this is it. You know, it's going to be good. If we can get a goal back, that'll be fine. But, you know, we'll take, like, not being humiliated on our own pitch. But, just like that, the goals start coming in. Early on in the game from Divock Origi, a rebound from Jordan Henderson shot uh, within the first 10 minutes. He's right there at right place, right time. And uh, it's a trademark Liverpool performance from Jeannie Vinaldum, who covered every single blade of grass on the pitch and contributed with two goals uh, himself. It's Jordan Shakiri's best game in the Liverpool shirt. He was everywhere on the flanks, both right and left, and delivered a crucial assist onto the head of the Dutchman, Wijnaldum, for the third goal. Um, and I think it's going to go down as the most iconic corner kick of all time, the Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, taking it quickly and the Divock Origi sealing the comeback for Liverpool, the corner kick that will go down in history that people will be replicating on the Sunday league pitch until the end of time. Uh, Liverpool 4. Barcelona nil, sending Liverpool into the Champions League for what would end up being not nearly as entertaining of a final against Tottenham Hotspurs that they would win and uh, lift the trophy that season. Can I just can I just give a sense of sorry to cut you off, Nathan, um, of the the psychological damage that this game caused? <laughs> <laughs> I think my I phone would... call didn't help after the game. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, you called after the game, but so I was actually unable to watch this game, um, and I remember this because the game stands out in my mind so vividly that I can almost relive where I was and what I was doing. So at this point, I was moving out of my dorm room. I was shuttling things from my dorm to my storage locker, and I was driving back towards my college, and <laughs> I keep, you know, don't look at your phone while you're driving, but I keep getting these notifications and the number keeps fucking going up. And I'm literally, I can tell you exactly, I remember exactly which like stoplight I was at when the fourth goal popped up on my screen. And that was just incredibly deflating. And I think the vividness of the imagery that comes to my mind over a game I didn't even see um, really demonstrates just how badly this result cut to the core of my being. 
Yeah, and, and I just wanted than, to add that. Uh, yeah, and I remember, Nick, the text that you had sent after the first leg of that tie when Messi scored that just outrageous free kick, like one of the nicest free kicks that I've ever seen. Um, and, and Nick, you texted, I think I'm just done with football for the time being. Like the idea of coming back from a 3-0 deficit against a, a Messi-led Barcelona team was so inconceivable that I didn't even plan on watching the second leg tie. Like I even thought that like once I didn't start watching until it was two until it was two nil Liverpool, because I really just didn't believe that the same team that had basically faltered and then been dominated by Barcelona for you know seventy five of the ninety minutes at the Camp Nou was going to be capable of coming back. So that was definitely I don't know if that was a a better comeback than La Remontada. And I'm not sure how to even quantify that, but it's definitely one of the greatest soccer comebacks ever. I think it's the greatest comeback uh, in terms of Liverpool. I don't think they've played. Liverpool hasn't come up against a player like Messi in in a long, long time, at least since they were competing in Europe in the 70s and 80s. And I think this is their greatest modern triumph as a club. Um and I think it, it, especially since it it kind of propelled them onwards to winning the Champions League, it is Jurgen Klopp's um, statement victory in terms of bringing Liverpool back up to where they should be as a club, being one of the leaders in the game. So I think that that is sort of the significance of that comeback for me. It, it put us back on the map in terms of, yeah, we can, even though we might not have Salah, we might not have Firmino, we might not have our best players out on the pitch, the Liverpool brand of soccer is back to where it needs to be. Yes, you know, so up to this point, we've we've been talking about games that had, you know, a mixture of historical importance, but also, you know, certain entertainment value, like games that had a lot of goals. But I think we should also consider another type of game, things that have a bit more of a, a violent character. And uh, no, no single game better kind of captures this, perhaps, or the the battle between beauty and brawn um, than the 2010 World Cup final between Spain and the Netherlands, where Spain, you know, were at the height of their tiki-taka power, powered by Iniesta, Xavi, Xavi Alonso in the midfield. They had, you know, a young David Villa up front. They had a defense that had, you know, Ramos, Puyol, and Piquet, they had Casillas in goal. It was, it was it was peak Spain. It was probably one of the best soccer national team sides ever. Meanwhile, <laughs> the Netherlands come in playing like some kind of uh, like MMA crazy stuff. Like Nigel De Jong literally kung fu kicks Xavi Alonso. Um, and it was a kung like, fu kick. Like he got the he got he, the, got, the he got yellow carded right. Yeah. No, he got right. yellow carded. Right. I know he did not, not... He did not get yellow carded for the challenge. He got yellow carded for a descent following the challenge. Right. No, and this is like the the ref could have sent off like literally the entirety of the Netherlands team. And I wish I was using hyperbole here. Just like I wish I was using hyperbole when I said that it was a kung fu kick. But we are being deathly literal here. No, he gets by the way, by the way, that that referee, that referee, Howard Webb, now oversees the professional uh referees guild, like the referees union and board um of England. So take that with a grain of salt when you think about who is overseeing the people responsible for VAR and whatnot. Right. It's Howard Webb. And I'm going to dissect this kick 
Nigel yep. de Jong <laughs> plants his left foot, indicating that he's about to do something. He like he's he's thought about this. He picks up the right foot and picks it up in a way that like he's he, in like the curved position to throw a kick. He does not aim for the ball at all, and he just plants the side of his foot into Chabi Alonso's chest, and the poor handsome Spaniard just goes careening into the ground like a zeppelin yeah it was it was insane it was honestly insane um and it really was one of those games that fully sort of showed a tussle between two very different philosophies of soccer a literal tussle yeah literal a literal tussle once again deathly literal here um but i think that's a good game too even though it only had one goal iniesta's stunning winner in extra time well i think we could sit here all day just because we're the three of us just so passionate about this game and we could sit here and and regurgitate scores and moments and goals and celebrations and tournaments and uh we could we could really do this all day and i think we would love to do it all day and perhaps we will since uh the three of us are under quarantine here uh in massachusetts so we will definitely be seeing the corner kick fam again very very soon but we thought that since we are in a time of such uncertainty and potentially a lot of fear and panic, we wanted to bring some light um, into the podcast space, into your ears. Um, and this is something that the three of us really love doing is getting together and talking about soccer and the fact that we're able to do this and even potentially bring some joy to your day. Um, means the absolute world to the, to, the, to the three of us. So it has been a pleasure. We will see you again very soon, like I said. But this has been Corner Kick. I've been Nick Vinden. I'm Caleb Rhodes. Nathan Strauss. And we will see you all next time. Stay safe out there. Yeah!